I'm Sienna, the kid. I'm Sarah, the mom. Whether you're a young person wanting to learn more about these issues or their parent wanting to find ways to connect, we want you to join us as we tackle some important subjects. If you can't have these conversations in your household yet, we hope to help by having them here. Welcome to Queer Kids Straight Mom. Let's talk. Welcome back to Queer Kids Straight Mom. Today, we are going to talk about the word queer. This is something that I have seen some controversy over in the news lately and just thought it would be an interesting topic of conversation in general because, I mean, it was even, I would say, an outdated insult when I was growing up, but like the only place I ever really heard it was as an insult, something that you would call somebody that you, and it wasn't like, I don't even know that it was... It was like just a word of distaste for somebody. I remember being surprised the first time I heard you use that word because I didn't realize that we were in a spot where that had become um, more commonly used. I guess I remember like over the years, I don't know if it was like footage of a pride parade or something. Like I remember people having signs that said, we're here, we're queer, get over it. And I guess that was the first time I heard it or saw it used by the community themselves rather than as an insult from people outside the community. But I'm curious, like, would you say your entire childhood, you knew this as this reclaimed word by the LGBTQ community? Did you ever hear it used as an insult growing up? It's an interesting question. I always say, like, I feel like I've had a remarkably sort of sheltered, not in the sense of like people trying to shelter me, but sheltered in the sense of I tend to be kind of oblivious about what people around me are saying. And so I I genuinely have no idea if I ever encountered people using queer as like a slur or an insult. Um, I don't have any specific recollection of it, but I mean, I also didn't really understand what like queer and gay meant until sixth, seventh grade. And so I'm not sure it would have even registered had like had I heard it as an insult. And then I think I went through a phase probably through middle school till my freshman year where I was like really sort of specific. Like I felt like I had to talk about queerness in like really sort of um, almost formal structured way like not not in a really kind of casual or slangy way because at that point I think I had been like oh well people like to use gay or queer as an insult and then I guess at some point in high school I was just kind of to be honest I think if I were gonna hear it if I heard anything as an insult I think it was actually more likely for it to be gay as an insult for whatever that's worth which is probably true when I was a teenager too like people really didn't use the word queer at all by the time I was a teenager, I would say um, it was gay. Like, oh, that's gay, you know, mm-hmm. usually for things that had nothing to do with human sexuality. Jeeps are gay. Exactly. <laughs> I'll never forget that kid saying that. My friend and I being like, it's a, it's a car. <laughs> it does not have a sexual identity. So it was an insult, I guess, originally coming from the fact that it means like odd or strange. 
And that was how people viewed anything that deviated from the sexual norm back in the day. But the LGBTQ community has reclaimed this word in the meantime. And my understanding is that it kind of came to be because it was a good umbrella word for all of these different identities that are included without having to like use a million different terms or letters or whatever it is. Um, so I read up on this a little. There is a great history in the American Historical Historian <laughs> Journal, and I will post links to everything we reference here on our website by Christina Handhart, who is a professor of American studies at the University of Maryland. It was really interesting because I learned that the present use of this word came both from academic and activist sources, and they have very similar intentions, but like diverged in some interesting ways as well. So the academic queer theory, as I understand it, argued that homosexuality and heterosexuality are socially constructed and historically contextual, and that queer basically encompassed anything that strayed from the traditional societal definition of heterosexuality and um, kind of the ideals of straight marriage as well. Queer activism shared this concept, but also asked questions of whether race, nation, or political economy might also outline relevant norms. Was it a new identity or did it evoke a new societal structure? Activists felt like the academic de definition might be ignoring the intersection of race, gender, and class. Is this similar to your understanding of the evolution of this word? I suppose that's probably like a very academic understanding of the development and the origin of the word. And I guess my experience and my understanding of it is probably closer to the um, the activist side, as well as I know, especially among some more radical queer circles, there tends to be a desire to reject the idea that a queer identity can be sort of packaged up and fit into a label. And the process of labeling things is viewed as sort of an extension of the dominant culture's desire to like define everything and make everything known and make it more palatable almost like oh i'm kind of confused by what's going on here oh there's a specific word and a specific term and a specific definition i can apply to these people i think are kind of weird okay that makes sense now and so i think it i think it in large part developed from a desire to not be sort of um foxholed and made palatable in that way so by using a word that's intentionally vague, this is trying to include more people without specifically defining people? Yeah, or like for me, in my experience as a non-binary person, I could, you know, try to sort through labels and come up with a term that fits my gender identity and my sexual orientation perfectly, but to me, it's actually sort of counterintuitive to my experience of non-binariness to try to label it because my experience of my gender is just sort of like be gone and so 
it feels more natural for me to say just I'm non-binary or I'm genderqueer and just kind of leave it at that. And the same thing with um, sexual orientation. My relationship to attraction to different genders is very complicated and it tends to fluctuate and it tends to um, be dependent on context. And I mean, I've also been in a relationship with one person for the last three years now. And at that point, it becomes a whole nother question of trying to, you know, sort through your attraction to other people when you're in a committed relationship with someone. And there are probably terms out there that I could find, but I also don't want to have to explain that to every single person I am explaining my relationship to or explaining my activism to. And another thing is that it's very important for me to not be labeled as like a lesbian because that does not align with my gender identity. And so to me, it feels a lot more natural to just sort of have that entire experience and the way it interacts with each other or interacts with itself be queer instead of all of these different component parts and complicated things that are going on. And, you know, there are some people for whom having labels is really helpful and helps find community and is comforting. And that's certainly, I'm not trying to cast aspersions on that at all, because I think that's also a valuable experience. But being able to just simply say, I'm queer is kind of its own kind of liberating. And for a lot of people, that's really helpful. Sorry, I've been going on for a long time here, but that reminded me of another thing, which is that honestly, there's there's a practical element here too, which is that, you know, we started off with like, wow, there are lesbians and gays out there. We uh that's that's interesting. Lesbians and gays, and that's it. And then over the last you know, 100 years or so, we've really started to understand that the spectrum of sexuality and gender and attraction is a lot more complicated than, you know, two or even three or four or five different labels. And so when you get to the point where you're trying to describe a community that's sort of defined by deviation from the social norm, it's just not practical anymore to try to keep adding letters. And, you know, you try to solve that by adding a plus to the end of the LGBTQ acronym. But then that sort of makes some communities feel like they're not being seen by that acronym. And so from a practical perspective, I think it's just it makes a lot more sense to have a word like queer that can sort of encompass all of that without highlighting or concealing different identities. So, and like I said, these two sources kind of of the modern use of this word converged in a lot of ways. Because in that, I'm also hearing that academic use of basically anything that existed outside of traditional definitions of heterosexuality or the heterosexual family unit. So this is kind of a way of including everybody and not having to label yourself if it's too complicated. Do you ever, have you ever had anybody say like, well, what does it mean that you're queer? Nobody's ever like needed specifics. No, I don't think so. I think if I ever end up talking about it, it's sort of from a, a mutual standpoint of we're having a conversation about the intricacies of gender and sexual orientation. I think other queer people probably recognize that you don't need to interrogate people's identities, or one would hope anyway. The queer right. people I try to surround myself with. 
um, recognize that. And I suppose straight people tend to be more willing to just be like, okay, you're, you're queer. All right. Gotcha. Yeah. Whether, whether that's out of like awkwardness or trying to be respectful or whatever. Um, I, I don't tend to get that kind of questioning from straight people. Although there was one time in debate, like at a debate tournament, where I mentioned being genderqueer and some people were asking like what that meant. But I think that was more about the concept of non-binaryness than anything else. So with the history of, especially in activism, with this queerness sort of involving the intersection of race and class, do you feel like as a white middle-class queer person, do you think there's a sense that at least from an activist point of view, this is more the territory of people of marginalized racial and class identities? Or do you feel like that's sort of an offshoot of it, but it's not a stratification within? I would view, for instance, Black communities as being really foundational to the development of the concept queer and queer activism. And I think their contributions tend to be something that gets erased a lot. So I don't think you can really have a discussion of queerness or queer history without talking about the, the, the context and the contribution of racial minorities and people living in poverty and that kind of thing. I don't think it necessarily means that it's sort of exclusive in that sense. Although what I would say is to me, anyone who calls themselves queer but isn't interested in sort of engaging with that history is fundamentally misinterpreting what the term queer is trying to do. I wonder if that's another division in people that are comfortable using the word queer, which leads me into that topic of the division and the controversy around the word. Like I said, I've been seeing this pop up in my news feeds recently. And for example, there was an op-ed in the New York Times last week by Pamela Paul called Let's Say Gay. In her opinion, the use of the word queer is problematic because this is this is a quote. To be clear, there is nothing wrong with embracing a particular word to describe yourself. The problem arises when a new term is used in ways that misrepresent or mischaracterize some of the very people it's meant to include. This is especially true when people in the population in question outright reject the fashionable term. She references a couple members of the LGBTQ community, the writers David Sedaris and James Kerchick, who object to the use of the word. Sedaris recently said on CBS News Sunday morning, like the term Latinx, queer was started by some humanities professor and slowly gathered steam. Then well-meaning radio producers and magazine editors thought, well, I guess that's what they want to be called now. But I don't remember my vote being taken. And then the quote from Kerchick is, queerness is also self-consciously and purposefully marginal, whereas the arc of the gay rights movement and the individual lives of most gay people has been a struggle against marginality. We want to be welcomed. We want to have equal rights. We want a place in our institutions. Thoughts? So there's a lot to unpack there. I should preface all of this by saying, if someone is gay and they say, 
I'm gay. I would like to be referred to as such. There is nothing wrong with that. And you should absolutely respect their wishes. It's something I encounter a lot with, with disability rights where, you know, I prefer to say I am autistic, but if someone prefers to say I am a person with autism or I am an autistic person, then like that should be respected. And I think that a really important part of of sort of allowing people to have autonomy in the way that marginalized communities tend to be denied is allowing them to determine what language is appropriate to define themselves. What I sort of object to about that statement is that it's, well, the first one about comparing it to the term Latinx, which is a whole other thing, because again, it sort of assumes there are no real people who use the term queer to describe themselves, or there are no real people who use the term Latinx to describe themselves. And that's not accurate at all. I mean, I've already outlined my experience with why I use the term queer to identify myself. And you don't, you don't get to tell me that you're only saying that because some academic thought it up and it's, it's, it's cutesy and fashionable. Like, no, there's a lot of thought that goes into my process and my understanding of myself that informs why I use the word queer. It's very intentional. And the same thing goes for the term Latinx. Like, if you're saying no one uses the term Latinx, well, what about non-binary Latinx people who need a term to describe themselves? The problem with that argument is that it sort of prefers the most privileged identity in this case, a gay man who tends to, you know, the especially the white gay male community tends to be most accepted and most mainstream, I guess, in the dominant culture compared to a non-binary person who is dealing with like layers of nuance and marginalization that you're never, like, you, you as a gay man are never going to have to experience. And you don't get to tell me that just because your identity can be fit into the box of gay means that I can't use the term queer to describe myself. Like that's a very privileged argument to make in my opinion. And then regarding the second argument, I mean, it's kind of the same thing, right? Yes, the mainstream gay rights movement has been one of sort of assimilation in a lot of ways. And when you think of the sort of stereotypical gay couple, you know, gay white male couple living in the suburbs and adopting a couple of kids and working their middle class jobs, like, yes, I'm sure that they are perfectly happy to assimilate into straight culture and have people refer to them as like, oh, I mean, they're gay, but they're basically the same as us. And that is fundamentally not the experience of queerness for a lot of people. And it's something that I've been seeing more of recently, I think, of saying, hey, yes, queerness indicates a sort of fringeness. And that's actually deliberate because my existence is a rejection of the mainstream culture and the status quo. And that's particularly true, I think, again, returning to intersectionality and communities who are marginalized in more ways than one. You know, think about ball culture in the 80s, which really started with Black and Latinx queer communities, where that was fundamentally a rejection 
of white culture, of heterosexual culture, of the nuclear family structure, because you were sort of creating these alternative family, like found family units where you would have older queer adults being sort of mentors and parental figures to younger people who were sort of may have been rejected by their family and were attempting to make their way in a society that largely rejected them. Like the history of queer community is one of being forced to to embrace that fringeness. And in my opinion, there's again, there's nothing wrong with wanting that sort of white suburban lifestyle. But I don't think that that is necessarily the majority opinion. And it really, again, tends to ignore identities that aren't ones that can easily assimilate into the dominant culture. Like as a non-binary person, I can't just be like, we're basically a straight couple because, well, no, fundamentally, my very existence is undermining the norms that have been established over like thousands of years of human history. And so that assimilationist mentality is not one that all queer people embrace or that all queer people can embrace. So again, I think that's like a very privileged way of looking at it. So it's not creating otherness by using this term so much as society has othered queer people for a long time. And it's just sort of saying, you have told me that I'm other, but I'm not going to change who I am and how I live to fit, which is different in intention than what some of these kinds of quotes suggest that you're just like intentionally rejecting mainstream culture so you can be subversive in some way. Yeah. Um, And I think it's also a matter of honoring the history of the queer community. There's a long history of these sort of externalized groups. And to me, it's important to recognize them and the contributions that they've made and embrace that otherness because it's part of my history and my community. It's an intentional choice and it's not either passively accepting otherization or like you said, being like, I want to make a point here. It's fundamentally my existence is different than the mainstream. And I'm not going to try to pretend that it isn't. So people who are opposed to the use of this word, a lot of them think of it as a pejorative term, right? It's an insult. Um, And a lot of these are older people that might have really painful memories of being called queer as an insult um, during a time when growing up with that label was Not that it's easy now, but much harder, I think. So what is your response to people that say that using this is, obviously it's okay for people to call themselves whatever they want to be called. And if they don't want to be called queer, then don't use that word to refer to them. But what if just hearing it in common casual use is triggering or upsetting to people? How do you navigate that? I personally still sort of feel like we're at a point where in most cases I don't necessarily want to hear straight people using the term queer really casually if it's not someone that I'm sort of close to and we have an understanding in terms of how they're using it because I don't think it's 
appropriate. It is still in that sort of point where this is not really your word to reclaim. And so I think, yeah, from from that perspective, I think it's a word still mostly in large part for the queer community. And then also, I think it's just a matter of of respect. And if you know that there's someone in a space who is not comfortable with the term being used, respect that. Honestly, yeah, a huge part of of this whole like this whole language thing that people like to act like it's so controversial. A huge part of it is just like asking people what language they prefer and then respecting that. And people act like it's it's this huge, terrible, tricky thing. And fundamentally, no, it's it's just a matter of being respectful of what you know people prefer. And if you if you use the term queer and someone says, hey, I'm not comfortable with that word being applied to me or in general, respect that. Because it's really not that hard to just respect someone's wishes, especially again, like you were saying, there are a lot of older adults who endured a lot growing up. And again, as a matter of sort of honoring our community, it is important to respect like the history that words can have. And I don't know how to, I don't really know how to explain it, but just, just be respectful of what the people around you ask, please. Related to that, one of the the issues that comes up is the media using this term. I also found a really interesting NPR piece, which I will also link to, but, you know, apparently there's even varying level of comfort among NPR journalists in using this term, and they had this conversation about it. And Jason DeRose, the Western Bureau chief and senior editor who oversees NPR's LGBTQ plus reporting, said that it's really often a generational issue that younger people are more comfortable using it. And a lot of the older people find it problematic. But so how about media? Because that's not a situation where you can ask whoever's listening to the radio, how do you feel about me using this term? Is it better just to steer clear? Even if you're a reporter who's part of the community, and that is how you refer to yourself and people you know? So to me, in headlines, it's probably best to, for the time being, say LGBT plus um, or LGBTQ plus, since that tends to be a sort of more broadly accepted title. And it's there's also a distinction to me in terms of like the publishing institution, right? Like, sure, the New York Times has queer journalists, but the New York Times is fundamentally not a queer institution. So there, it, there's also a sort of distinction to me if you're a publication that deliberately like is by the queer community for the queer community. And then I would also say that it can be tempting to overgeneralize. But when you're talking about like specific details, you also shouldn't be afraid to refer to individual people or a particular community that's being targeted by something or whatever it may be by the label that is most specific and most appropriate. So if you are talking about Brandy Carlisle, you can be like gay singer and songwriter Brandy Carlisle. And it's a matter of also just being specific and referring, again, referring to people the way that they like to be referred to. And that specificity can also help clear up some of the confusion about what language to use. Any other comments or insights you have on this? Not really. I mean, I guess just the sort of main couple of rules to me, summarizing what we've gone over, is first and foremost, let people refer to themselves and refer 
to those people the way that they want to be referred to. Like that's sort of the golden rule here, in my opinion. Um, it's just respect what people want. And then beyond that, also acknowledge that you might not see eye to eye on why you refer to yourself that way or why they refer to themselves that way. But as long as there's sort of a mutual respect, I honestly think that it doesn't need to be a big controversial thing. As long as you're just respecting where people are coming from and acknowledging that people have different lived experiences and have experienced marginalization in different ways that might lead them to use language differently, you have to respect that. Everything you just said sounds like a really good like blueprint for life, not just the word <laughs> queer. Um, I cracked the code, guys. <laughs> well, it's been it's been really interesting. I learned a lot researching this, and it's really great to hear what you have to say and kind of to know that there are general guidelines of like, if you're not part of the community, probably don't throw the word around casually, things like that. So um, thank you for sharing all of that. We hope this has been helpful to our listeners as well. Next week, we are going to talk about books. Well, there's been a lot of talk about books being banned and pulled from shelves in places like Florida. And we just thought that was a good context. Um, for one thing, some of the books that are being objected to and why. And then also just to talk about, a, you know, what is appropriate material for teenagers. Sienna and I used to talk about this a lot. As a teenager with a really high reading level, they would say, like, it's hard to find books that are at my reading comprehension level, but like aren't inappropriate material. And not even because they don't exist necessarily, but because no one makes lists with that in mind necessarily. Right. So we thought it might be helpful for parents and teenagers alike. Sienna is an expert book reviewer. So just some suggestions for really good books for different ages that tackle LGBTQ plus issues or have great representation in their characters and stories. We hope you'll tune in for that. If you have any books that you want to tell us about as we get ready for that episode, we'd love to hear it. And I also wanted to share that we have a new website. It's queerkidsstraightmom.com. And we'll be posting episodes on there and links to materials that we referenced during our episodes. So check that out. And we look forward to talking to you next time. Goodbye. All right. If you would like to hear more from us, follow us on Instagram at queerkid.straightmom, Facebook at queerkid.straightmom, Twitter at queerkidsstraightmom. That's straight that spelled S-T-R-8. And if you would like to support us so that we can keep bringing you content like this, consider donating to us on Patreon at QueerKid, Straight Mom. And if you are enjoying our podcast, please rate, review, and follow us on your preferred podcasting platform. <laughs>